Welcome to Food Marketing Nerds, your weekly serving of marketing advice and industry insights with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. What's good, my nerd family? On the podcast today, we have Michael Sloan, CEO of Chloe's Fruit. If you're not already familiar with the company, you are seriously missing out. Chloe's makes several different varieties of clean ingredient frozen treats that I can say from personal experience are incredibly delicious and very high quality. Whether you're a rising startup or the industry leader, product quality is critical to long-term success. But as you likely know, as a listener of this podcast, there's just so much more that goes into which challengers become and remain household names and which ones become statistics. In most David and Goliath scenarios, Goliath often wins. But in this episode, Michael tells us the story of how Chloe's mission to create more accessible, better for you options, not to mention a lot of savvy tactics met with great execution, has taken the company from a single shop in New York to the freezer aisle of over 10,000 different stores across the country. We get into everything from pricing strategy when your ingredients are more expensive, how licensing deals can help create opportunities for more distribution, how to innovate your way to more shelf space, and so, so much more. Michael's a true thought leader in the space, and you're going to come away from this episode with a lot of new thinking around non-traditional ways to build your company through the rapid changes of the food and beverage industry. So without further ado, Michael, welcome to the show. Ah, Thanks for having me, Alex. Really appreciate it. Happy to be here. So tell us your story. What was the path that led you to co-founding Chloe's? So I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, starting businesses, but nothing with food or consumer facing. And the Chloe's concept was because we did a lot of triathlons and eat a lot of bananas. And so we learned that if you peel it, freeze it, and blend it, it makes a yogurt-like product. And I went to my best friend, Jason, and his wife, Chloe, and asked them what they thought about it. And Chloe's a mom. She has three kids. She's a former Manhattan DA. And she used to think frozen yogurt was healthy and then realized it wasn't quite so healthy. So she'd been searching for a better for you treat and she tried my frozen banana and she fell in love with it. So at the end of the summer, I said, guys, I can't find a frozen banana in New York City. Why don't we open up a store that sells frozen bananas in New York? And that literally was our first business plan. And so that's how it all started. And then we went to open up the store. We hired a consultant and then we had to make it scalable and come out of a frozen yogurt machine. So we changed the settings. We hired a chef and we had to add a little bit of water to the fruit to get the fruit to go through the machine. And then that brought the sugar, the bricks down. So we had to sweeten it. So by necessity, our product was made of literally fruit, water, and cane sugar. And then that kind of pivoted the entire product to literally just fruit, water, cane, sugar. And then, you know, like all good businesses, we then took it out of the frozen yogurt machine into a popsicle mold and started selling pops. And that was the fundamental pivot that changed the face of our company. And then in 2014, we launched in grocery stores. And today we're now in 10,000 grocery stores around the country. So it was a pretty interesting ride. How long did it take you to make that pivot from the frozen yogurt machines to the pops? So the whole idea for the stores was in 2010 was our first store. 2011 was the second store. And we went and we really thought we were going to franchise stores. And then once we got into it in 2012, we realized that retail stores were just too hard. We didn't like foresee a pandemic coming, but we just realized that rents were coming up and cost minimum wage was going to rise. And just oh, there's all these pressures on retail and making it challenging. And so that's when we started the pivot. We went to food service in 13 and the grocery in 14. So it took about two years to execute. But 2010 was the first store. 2012 was our pivot away. Interesting. I could definitely see, I could see it. A sign that says Chloe's selling the same thing. But I think you guys made the right choice, obviously. So we still have a single store left. It's in Union Square. It's on 17th Street. So if you're in Manhattan, come visit us. We are now still open through the pandemic and struggling like everyone else out there in retail. 
So for our audience who is yet to try Chloe's, can you just give us a little more information? What separates Chloe's Pops from what else is on the market? Sure. So Chloe's is made of literally fruit, water, and cane sugar. And that's it. And what separates it is really the taste. So because it has those simple ingredients, it tastes delicious. And it tastes delicious because it has those simple ingredients. So therefore, oh, by the way, it's healthier and better for you. And so that's what's pretty special about the product. And then once we did that, we then started pivoting and innovating in a very narrow space of non-dairy stick novelties. So we took those clean, simple pops and we dipped them in a non-dairy dark chocolate. We then took those clean, simple pops and put them in a kid shape, a one and a half ounce pop and marketed to kids using licenses. So we have a license for Spider-Man and the Avengers. And then we also did a lifestyle partnership with a brand called Zumba. And then the most innovative products we just launched are our oat milk pops. So we launched the first oat milk novelties on the market. And this was our way to get really indulgent and decadent. So we launched mint chip, raspberry chip, and salted caramel. So it's just been a real exciting time for us. It sounds like it. So started with banana. You obviously have a much broader selection of SKUs at the moment. When did you start realizing this? we need to add additional SKUs for this product to be successful at retail? Well, even back when we started in the yogurt store concept, we knew we couldn't just have banana. So we immediately started with new, and we call them varieties, not flavors, because we don't have any flavoring. And so we immediately started adding other varieties. So we would have mango and strawberry and blueberry, and then we made a dark chocolate. And then we got like, we'd have pumpkin for the fall. And, you know, we just got very seasonal. We do apple and we got up to like 16 different varieties of soft serve. And then we just took, when we launched in retail, we took our best ones, strawberry, mango, and dark chocolate and raspberry and we launched them in retail and you know i believe in this game if you don't innovate you're dead and so you know everyone wants what's new and hot and so you have to really keep pushing the envelope and in the beginning we used to think innovation was adding new flavors and then in 2017 we were part of the chobani incubator and they really taught us that new flavors are not innovation and that's just flavor extension line extension innovation is dipping them in non-dairy dark chocolate and so you know, what we did with our innovation is we would look at the market and see what the opportunity was. So at first we would see Nestle Outshine and said, okay, we can make pure pops that are cleaner, simpler, and better. Then we looked at Dove, which makes non-dairy pops dipped in a milk fat dark chocolate and said, we can do that better. And what was funny, the same year we launched, Outshine launched a very similar product to Dove. So we were lucky that it wasn't clean and ours is non-dairy and theirs is not non-dairy. And then which is constantly evolving, whether it's the first Better For You partnership for kids' licenses or the first milk novelties in the country. We just think it's important to be out there on the front to be leading the innovation. Curious, as far as the more recent innovations go, what impact COVID has had on the success of the newer innovations? It's actually a great question. So it's had a little bit of a bifurcated effect. So what I'll call is the more simple SKUs, like lime, like coconut dipped in a non-dairy dark chocolate or Spider-Man or Avengers are doing great because they're obvious. So our experience right now is people are spending 10 minutes less per trip in grocery stores and they're wearing masks, they're wearing gloves, and they're not going on that treasure hunt. They're not trying to discover something new and delicious. They're buying what's familiar. And so those four innovative SKUs are counting as what's already familiar to them. 
because they're actually not that innovative. What's really innovative is our oat milk SKUs or our Zumba SKUs, and these are having a little bit of a challenge getting trial during COVID because people aren't going on that exploration. So we're having to pivot our marketing, doing more stuff with Instacart and Ibotta, as well as each retailer's online marketing to drive trial and awareness when people are home or adding to their online e-commerce orders. So are the existing third-party, whether it's Ibotta or Instacart or just different third-party platforms, have those been the most successful for driving awareness and trial of new products while everyone is spending more time at home during this new, strange state of affairs we're in? Absolutely. So that was a pivot. So once we saw the lockdowns happening and you know we're based in New York City, so we saw them on the earlier side, we immediately pivoted our marketing and went deep into Ibotta, Instacart, and you know 8451 other avenues to try to reach people at home because you know e-commerce they've hit their five-year goals in five months. Wow! So you know the, the amount of e-commerce it, it wasn't a big deal before, and now it's imperative. And so one of the big challenges for us was also trying to get our images online with all of our new SKUs. And so we had to partner with Syndigo and IX1 to really expedite that. But that was a real push back in March to make sure that all the new SKUs were available and the images were updated. Interesting, just because production was difficult with social distancing or what was the biggest challenge behind that? It wasn't a production. The challenge is just working with the retailers that were online was so much more important. And so it was about getting the images online so you can order, you can add to your online, either curbside pickup or delivery order. And it's just harder if there's no picture of your new product. So we had to work with these you know, third parties like Syndigo to get the new pictures up online so that people could order digitally. That makes sense. So lo- looking at your e-commerce page on the website, it looks like there are multiple options or Instacart, Fresh Direct, Amazon Fresh. And then there is a somewhat native looking, or it's, it seems like a different platform, but shipped directly to the customer, not through a third party like Instacart. Correct. Can you speak to that at all? Sure. So it's funny, in February, we actually launched direct to consumer, or we started working on it, not because we saw a pandemic coming, but more internally for us to be able to ship samples. And all of a sudden, the pandemic happens, and now it becomes even more important. And, you know, it's always a challenge shipping frozen. You know, frozen is not, you know, 31 degrees, it's minus 10 degrees and dry ice. And it's a challenge. So we partnered with Kehi through Brand Driver to offer this option. And, you know, it's expensive to ship. We brought the cost down as much as we can. So it's like 15 or $29, depending on where you live, to ship the product. We use it a lot for samples, for buying meetings and things like that. But, you know, the best place for consumers is to buy to your local retailer. And right now we are in 10,000 stores. So it's relatively easy to find what you're looking for. And you can always email us if you can't find the specific variety of your flavor or product you're looking for. And as a last resort, we can always ship. And, you know, there are people during the pandemic who are not going to stores who prefer to order. And in that case, you know, shipping is a great option. So the direct consumer approach or adjustment is, is interesting. I'm curious, as a challenger brand, how has Chloe's managed to compete with these huge players that who had previously seemed to have cornered the market? So we've always competed by having a better product. So we take the challenger brand and brand and we push it to where they should be going in terms of ingredients and quality and taste. And so then it's about getting that out there. And that's when the marketing dollars become more limited. And we're finally getting to the scale where, you know, 
if you have just two or three SKUs in a store, it's really hard. But if you have 12, 13, 14 SKUs, then you can really market efficiently through those stores platforms, as well as through other avenues like Instacart, et cetera. So we don't do TV commercials and we don't have like a, a Manny's budget that we can pull money from to spend more on our popsicle budget, fruit pop budget. So we're very focused on spending it and what the ROI is and what the delivery is. And we have to focus on being smarter with our marketing dollars. So we test, we learn, we adjust, we test, we learn, we adjust. Of the channels that you've tested so far, have there been any that have stood out as this resounding win in terms of ROI? So, yeah, right now, Instacart is delivering the best, uh, they call it ROAS, you know, return ad, uh, on ad spend that we've mm-hmm. been able to achieve. So we've been very excited <laughs> about it. And, you know, we really focus on what I'll call is the bottom of the funnel versus the top of the funnel. We're not doing awareness campaigns. We're doing, you know, here's the information, click here and buy. And so this way we can track it. So that's where we have the most, you know, bang for our buck. Interesting. That makes sense. So in terms of pricing, and we talked about this before the interview, can you talk to the Chloe's pricing strategy at all? How you guys, in terms of where you sit on the shelf, how you price your product to one, stand out, and two, to also fit in? It's a problem, right? Because our ingredients cost more than their entire products. Our competitors' entire products probably cost. And so when you have something that's called twice as expensive as a competitor, how do you market it and how do you make it so it's achievable and reachable? So we price our product at the same box price as our competitors, yet we have less product. So Outshine has six pops and we only have four. Same with Dove, whereas Popsicle has 18 and we only have 10. And so the Popsicle box and the Chloe's, you know, Spider-Man box should be at relatively the same price within probably 50 cents up or down. But obviously ours is a lot more expensive on a per hop or per ounce basis. So, but the cost of trial is the same and that's what we think is critical. So it sounds like customers or consumers are more sensitive to the cost of the box on shelf relative to the other products it's next to as opposed to the cost per item or popsicle itself. Well, some consumers are sensitive to the price per ounce, and especially in the pandemic, people are buying larger sizes to get more efficiencies on their stand because you know, we are in a financial crisis as well as the pandemic. So, you know, there is value buyers, but we can't be that value product. So this is how we position ourselves and where we can add value. And, you know, we do do business in clubs like Sam's Club and Costco. We do our best to provide as much value as we can to the customers. But we we think it's important. We also think that, you know, our set is a very high-low set. So it is about going up and down and discounting. And so there's a few retailers like Wegmans where it's an EDLP, but everywhere else you're really going high-low and getting those tags up and, trying to promote. So, you know, we have two strategies with our products. So all of our products will be line price coming next year. And so with the line pricing, we do some deals where the entire brand is on deal. And then we'll take other periods of time. We'll, we'll put one line on deal and then the next line and the next line and the next line sequentially. So you'll have a three-month period where there will always be a Chloe's item on sale. So if you're a value buyer, you can always choose to buy what's on sale. However, if you like our mint chip oat milk pop, it will be on sale for two of those weeks and then it won't be on sale. So if you are loyal to that SKU, you'll have to come back and pay and buy at a full price, which is where we actually make money. Hmm. Interesting. So 
In terms of coupons, I know you have a, a coupon on your website. Where did you? How did you develop the strategy you were just discussing, and uh, what testing went into that? Or I guess what what was the thought process behind this strategy, this couponing strategy or discounting strategy you just mentioned? The discounting strategy has come because every year we come up with a new idea and we test it. And so this we didn't have this last year, but every year we've tried something different. And you know now that we're getting more and more SKUs on shelf. We think it's interesting to take advantage of putting the entire brand on deal and buying like a fixed ad that says the entire brand's on sale at two for seven or something like that. And then we also like the idea of rotating what's on deal so that, you know, it's something there for each consumer because we do think there are consumers that do like deal and need to buy what's on deal because they're on a tight budget. And so we want to have an option available for them as well. That makes sense. That makes sense. So whether it's the Nickelodeon licensing or the Marvel Avenger packaging that you have, can you speak to the benefits of a licensing deal like that to a, a brand like Chloe? Maybe some challenges for someone who might be considering a similar approach for their product? Uh, sure. So we our first deal was Marvel and they approached us and we said no like three times. I'm mm-hmm. uh, sorry, the first deal was, was Nickelodeon. I apologize. So we, our first deal was Nickelodeon and they approached us and we said no two or three times. And then they actually had a deal where they were selling it into a retailer. And so we thought they wanted to take our core product and put their license on our core proven product. And we said no. And they said no, create a new variety, a new flavor, and then put the license on that. And then we're going to sell it into retailers. So that made it a very easy yes for us. And then once we launched with Nickelodeon, what what I would say weren't the top end licenses, you know, we then got phone calls from every media company in the country offering every concept you could imagine because every one of these media companies are marketing to kids and they all in their ethos want something that's healthier and better for you. And so when you look at a brand like Popsicle, Popsicle has healthier, better for you SKUs. They have a a product called Simply Pop, and they have a product called Fruit Pops, but they don't license it. They put the Paw Patrol and Disney license on the least healthy product they sell. And so for us, it was a no-brainer for Marvel. Marvel basically said, here's our assets. Which ones do you want? And so we chose Spider-Man and the Avengers, which we think are their strongest assets based on what we were were trying to reach. And we're super excited. They're super excited because this is a way to really drive that awareness. And, you know, as a retail brand, we have two sales. Our first sale is to the buyer and the second sale is to the consumer. And so it really helps with the buyer sale. And we think it really helps with the consumer sale. And you're seeing that when you look at the data on the sales of our Spider-Man Avengers that they're delivering right now. Do you feel like there's an added legitimacy for someone who doesn't recognize the brand at first or who has never tried the brand and maybe loves Spider-Man or the Avengers? That association is kind of an instant positive benefit. Totally. And so hopefully it gets the awareness. Hopefully there's a nag factor of a you know, 10-year-old pulling in saying, Mom, I want this and not realizing how healthy it is. And all of a sudden the mom's like, wait a minute, it's made of just fruit, water, and cane sugar? Sure, you can have two boxes. So that's what we're going for. And, you know, when you look at the kid's aisle, it's one of the least healthy in the frozen novelty sets. I mean, there's a whole healthier, better for you set, but there's nothing for kids. So it's a shame when you look at what's marking the children, it's the worst of the worst. And so we're taking on as our mission. If we can clean this up, the big guys will copy us. And that'll be our biggest form of flattery when the big guys actually take their best products and clean up the ingredients and market it to children then we've kind of won with our mission. So that, that would be a, a huge compliment and that would be success. Yeah, grand scheme of things, it's serving a, a much bigger, greater good. So I, 
maybe we edit this question out. I'm just out of curiosity. So when, in terms of these licensing deals, it sounds like, say, Nickelodeon, the licensing offer, you guys are manufacturing for them and they're selling it in? Or how does that relationship break down? Sure. So, so, no, so, so we sell it in. We, we do all the work. These big licensing companies actually have retail teams at some of the big retailers that sell in all their merchandise. And so they go with you and they help sell. And so they were creating a whole like Nickelodeon section and that got us into our first retailers and made the deal very easy to start. Gotcha. So it's an added benefit of the licensing deal. Yes. But only to some extent, you know, Marvel and Disney, they have their own teams as well, but we're out there selling that they're out there helping us. But like, if you go to Target and you search Marvel, there's a whole Marvel page at Target.com. And you'll find all of your, you know, Spider-Man costumes and things like that. And you'll find our pops and you'll see the Avengers. And so there's a Spider-Man page, an Avengers page, a Marvel page. And so we're able to link with that greater brand at retailers like that. And that's especially true at places like Target where they sell more than just food, right? So you also have all the, you know, Marvel licensed toys and games and clothes and costumes, etc. So on the topic of licensing, you mentioned this partnership with Zumba. How did that come to fruition? Can you speak to that licensing deal a little further? Sure. So as you, as I mentioned earlier, you know, once we did our first license, all these companies called us. And the most outlandish for us was Zumba. You know, Zumba is like an amazing international brand that has a dance company. And, you know, they used to sell DVDs and they were trying to pivot to Zumba.com. This was all pre-pandemic. And so the whole idea for them was to use our pops to drive people to Zumba.com. And so what's cool is if you buy our Zumba pops and you go on the back, then you can go to Zumba.com slash Chloe's and type in a code and you get a free class at Zumba.com. So that's a really neat marketing tactic that we have. And plus, the Zumba has you know over 100,000 classes in the U.S. that are taught by instructors, and those instructors are all part of the Zumba network. And so we put out information and coupons to the instructors and then coupons that they can pass on to their students. So we have this whole marketing angle of the Zumba instructors that will teach their students about what the Zumba pops are all about, in essence, what our brand is all about. So the Zumba partnership is actually a pina colada pop. They're awesome. And so we have those out in Sprouts and Velasco and other retailers. Uh, they just launched in the East Coast and Fresh Direct. So it's, it's a really neat product. And it has a lot of benefits of actually driving people to the stores. So if you think about it, you know, as strong as Spider-Man is, no one's going to Target to buy my Spider-Man pop. The people are already in Target and then they're going to buy Spider-Man. Whereas I do believe Zumba has the ability to actually drive people to tar- to a store like Sprouts or Jualasco, etc., to buy this product. So that is a interesting opportunity where I can be in a buyer meeting and tell the buyer I have a way to drive people to your store, and that is something that most novelties do not have the ability to do. So we've actually taken this partnership to the next level. And on Sunday, we are launching a test with Sprouts where we are launching a live Zumba class in a Sprouts parking lot in Deerfield Beach, Florida, socially distant. So they're roping off a big section of the parking lot. It'll be outdoors, one person per spot. And we are just really excited about this. And it's going to be neat. And if this works, our plan is to roll it out to all the Sprouts uh, there's 350 of them in the country. 
And then if it works, our plan is to replicate it on a weekly basis while they're permitted. So think about that. Think about 30 or 50 people in a Sprouts parking lot every Sunday morning doing Zumba. So now it's the true partnership. You have Zumba customers going to Sprouts every Sunday where they can then, after they dance, they can go buy food. And maybe they're not Sprouts customers, maybe they are. So you're now bringing new customers to Sprouts. Sprouts now has the ability to market the Zumba class to their customers and bring new Zumba members to a Zumba dance class that they're providing in their parking lot. In addition, as Chloe's, as the kind of ownership of the whole event and the creator of it, we're bringing this all together and providing VIP coupons to the people who dance from us as well as our partner brands like Chobani, Bonza, the chickpea pasta, Aloha, from the ground up, etc. So we, we have some really good partners who are also providing it. So imagine that you go dance and you're getting $30 with the VIP coupons to go spend at Sprouts. So the brands win, we win, Zumba wins, Sprouts wins. It's just a really unique opportunity. It's just perfect positioning for the pandemic because right now Zumba, you know, most gyms are not allowing dance classes. And so giving them the outlet of being able to dance outside turns out to be a really neat concept that everyone's excited about. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think from all of the the different guests and different companies we've had on the show, I think one of the things that Chloe has done really well is just leverage that extremely valuable real estate of the packaging and just the brand goodwill, the 10,000 different stores you guys are in to partner with people and brands that have this mutually beneficial relationship to create extensions off of that. And I think it's really innovative and interesting, creative ways to get the product out there and build the brand. Well, thank you. It's something that we're always thinking through and always pushing the envelope and trying to achieve. So what does long-term success for Chloe look like? So we could look at it in a few different ways. So the first is obviously with our SKUs succeeding and growing, getting more SKUs, getting a better brand billboard, it starts to have one of these like spin wheel effects, like a flywheel effect where it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and our sales grow and turn into a much larger company. Our success will also be defined by changing the way consumers are eating, by providing healthier options to get accepted. And you'll be able to see our success when big companies start cleaning up their product line. So when Popsicle launched Simply Pop or Fruit Pops and they actually put fruit in their pops, that was, in my mind, a a level of success. When they start to license it, that will mean that our Spider-Man and our Avengers SKUs were successful. When Dove, which, may, which is owned by M&M Mars, like one of the biggest chocolate companies in the world, as well as Outshine, when they decide to take non-dairy chocolate and put it on their non-dairy dipped bars, that'll be a success. When other brands take out soy lecithin and use sunflower lecithin, you know, when other brands copy the simplicity of our ingredients and just provide better food for their people, that will just define our success. That is a great goal, I think. Very optimistic and great way to look at imitation being a form of flattery and really helping achieve the mission. Thank you. I did have a question as I was looking through the product line and as we're discussing the space on shelves. In your mind, is there an ideal number of SKUs or do you think it's more valuable to have a, a depth of inventory on the shelves in a handful of SKUs or having a broader selection that spans the shelves in best case scenario? 
Sure, that's a really good question, and it's something that we were struggling with early on. So the question is, how many fruit SKUs does a brand need? Does a company, does a retailer need? And how many different fruits are there? So in the soft serve, you always want to have a variety. So we're always keeping it fresh and rotating. But will a retailer carry 14 different fruit bars? Probably not. So we package our boxes so six of them fit on the shelf. So we're trying to find six hero SKUs, the absolute six best products that we can make. And for the most part, we know what they are, right? It's strawberry, mango, dark chocolate. Lime is the new one. And then raspberry and blueberry. And then pomegranate slips in and out of that hero list. But beyond that, how much farther can we go? And so we think that really is kind of, if we can get six heroes, we've achieved that. Then when you get to our oat milks, we think we have room for more than three. We think with the success of oat milk, it could be six, it could be 12 different oat milk opportunities because oat milk is a way for us to go decadent. So we have varieties like mint chip, salted caramel, raspberry chip, and many more that are in the works. Then you look at our dipped bar. So right now we have four pops that are like the coconut dipped and the non-dairy dark chocolate. And so how many more varieties of dipped bars is the right mix? And then it's about integrating the ranking. How many do you want within each of these? Because retailers are only going to take so many. So our dream would be to get a full door. And so how do we build up enough innovation that stays true to who we are, where we can take over a full door like Nestle Outshine does or Unilever's Popsicle does. And so that is success. That is your efficiency. That is the, oh, I'm going to get close. And you open up that door and it's a sea of close. So right now in some retailers, we actually have a half door. And that's really, really exciting to see. You know, places like the Southwest Division of Albertsons, uh, other places such as the southern division of Albertsons. And then you get places like Sprouts that have nine SKUs, but they you know, put six SKUs in the fruit set and three of the oat milks in the indulgent non-dairy set. So there's different spacing. And then you get places like Julasco where they have you know a few SKUs in the indulgent door and a few SKUs in the fruit door and a few SKUs in the kid's door. And so we're constantly going back and forth between the brand block where you have a, a smaller store like Fresh Time that only has one door of frozen novelties and they gave us half the door. So they have our kids, they have our oats, they have our fruit pops all in that same section. So it's different opportunities, but ideally if we can get to a, a full door, that would be pretty sweet. This would be a great challenge to try and solve. But at the point where you get a full door or even where you're currently at now, in terms of finding those six hero products and then balancing that with the excitement of innovation and keeping customers engaged. How do you attack that situation where you've got six great products on shelf or a full door, but there's still this need to drive innovation to keep customers engaged? It's a great question. Is that just kind of killing off the lowest performer or how does that work? Sure. So on the six fruit SKUs, once you have six, like this year, we're not launching a new fruit. So we think our six are great and we're going to keep pushing the ones that we have right now. What we are launching is, you know, new oat milk skews. And so we think that the way we can enhance our shelf space is by adding oat milk skews versus adding more fruit because we've achieved the six. We do not have six oat milks right now. At this moment, we only have three. So that's how we think about it is actually being innovative. So, you know, you have a shelf of fruit, you have a shelf of oat milk, a shelf of dip, a shelf of kids. 
a shelf of lifestyle. So this is where we can keep innovating and adding new product lines. But when you look at our broad options, we're all playing in the non-dairy stick novelty. So we are a massive innovator, but in a very, very narrow field. There's no dairy products in our brand. There's no pints. We don't even have other form factors at this moment. So we don't have sandwiches or anything like that. So there's a ton of white space and a ton of opportunity ahead of us. So we are definitely excited about the future and where Chloe's can innovate and grow to. Oh, I can't wait to see what Chloe's rolls out with next. I have been a longtime fan. I actually tried to get you guys on the podcast back at uh, Expo West a few years ago. And uh, it finally happened. So well, thank we you for bringing us on. Very excited. So I have a couple of questions we ask each of our guests. And I'm curious if you could go back and give your just starting Chloe's self one piece of advice. What would it be? Skip food service. Hmm. Food service, we invested a lot of money in and it took a lot of time and effort. And it really, in my mind, slowed us down by two years. If we had taken all that effort and gone towards CPG, I think it would have accelerated our process. That's not even counting on a pandemic that's going to shut down the entire food service business, but just in, in general, you know, the food service for us, looking back, turns out to be a really good marketing way to get trial and awareness. Like we have a program where we offer it to schools at a discount and camps and things like that. Uh, you know, we're on hospital trays, like at NYU Hospital, you can get Chloe's if you have a baby there or in the hospital, which is cool. That's a great marketing strategy, but it's not going to really drive to the bottom line. So that would be the tactical advice. And then the real like kind of theoretical business advice is whatever I, however hard you think it's going to be, it's going to end up being a lot harder, but you can do it and just put your head down and go. Great advice. Speaking of advice, is, are there any books that you recommend or sure. advise people to, to listen to in terms of marketing or business? So there's an amazing book. It's called Trillion Dollar Coach by Bill Campbell. Have you heard of it? I haven't. So Billy Campbell is an amazing story. He was the most losing football coach in the history of, Ivy, of the Ivy League. And then he became an amazing executive in that agency, J. Walter Thompson. And he went on to work for a small computer company called Apple. And he launched a product called the Macintosh in 1984 uh, with that crazy commercial at the Super Bowl. And he went on from there to basically become a business coach and advisor to it talks about trillion dollars, so a trillion dollars of asset value over the years. But basically, the founders of Google and everyone else out in Silicon Valley. And he just had this real magnanimous way about him. And I was lucky enough to know him and spend time with him socially. And every time he was with you, he felt like you, you felt like you were the only person in the room. He was just talking to you and he would drill down on the right questions and get you thinking and talking. And just it was awesome. And this book does a really nice job by three of the people he coached of really capturing it and putting the essence of it. So Eric Schmidt, who was one of the people he coached. And so he put this all together by interviewing other of his mentees. You know, unfortunately he passed away, but it's, it's an amazing, amazing story. And I definitely recommend it. Damn, sounds amazing. I will, will absolutely link that up. And that is going on my to read next list. So after you read it, shoot me an email or text. Let me know what you think about it. I will. I will. If it's on Audible, I'll have it done in a week. But if it's on, if it's a physical book, it might take me a month. I'm pretty sure it's on Audible. Awesome. Uh, I have the physical book, but it, I, I'm pretty sure it's on. Awesome. So, what is next for Chloe's, and where can people go to keep up with you guys? So, obviously, our website www.chloe'sfruit.com or our Instagram, which is at Chloe's Fruit. What, what's next for us is we are driving our new innovation and continuing to sell in for next year. And, you know, the best way to support us is to buy our pops at retail. 
that matters for so many different levels, from just the revenue, the sales, as well as the you know, the data that everyone else sees to base their next year's decisions on. So we definitely appreciate those retail sales. So thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And it's an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Alex. Have a great day. And that's our show, folks. If you're still listening, either you got some value out of this episode or you got sidetracked and just haven't hit the next button yet. If it's the first one, it would be a massive, huge favor if you could leave us a review on whatever app that you're listening to right now. It helps us get our name out there, which in turn helps us bring more great guests on the show. What I'm really saying is help us to help you. Thanks so much for tuning in. And we'll be back same time, same day next week. Stay nerdy. Food Marketing Nerds is a production of Blue Bear Creative. For interview transcripts and other downloadable resources, head to foodmarketingnerds.com. 